my son, who is now as a beginning associate at a consulting firm, so we have some interesting conversations. I keep telling him he's taking food out of my mouth. Um, he's in a really good good group. He's uh, graduated from college uh, last year, and he, and he found a Dallas-based group, which is formed by a bunch of Accenture, Deloitte and Touche guys who wanted to do something that was better culturally and sort of took their own practice and made it a Dallas-based firm. So it's more of a, a deep dish, smaller niche kind of a thing than a big Accenture. And they're very successful. The growth rate's very good. And they're really big on culture and relationship. And a little example is um, they'll pay him and every employee uh, for one day a month to do service in the community. This is part of they do. So you go out and help starving people or mentor somebody, but that's kind of the what they're based on, and their growth rate's exceptional. He um, he loves being there, he loves working in Dallas and living in Dallas. And he has a friend, a gal, gal friend, how do you say it right, not girlfriend, but friend gal, who he grew up with in, in, uh, in Newport Beach, who ended up going to SMU with him as friends, and now they are in the same business. So they taught their colleagues, all in their mid-twenties, into having a California weekend. So 17 kids, kids, 23, 25 years old, flew to uh, to Newport to spend a weekend and let Ricky and Elise host them in, you know, harbor cruises and, you know, water stuff and going to the beach and all that. And so Barbie and I kept the boys, sleeping bags all over the place and air mattresses, and Elise's family kept the girls, and we hosted them and had parties and stuff. And so I had all these wonderful conversations because, you know, we got to know these people. We got to know that age. We, you know, they're in business and they're aggressive. And what are they thinking? And you know, we would like to, you know, have them take over one day, <laughs> and we can slow down. And every every party I went went to where I'd meet with them because they're very very relational people. We talk about what we do, and and everyone I when I explain what I do, and they'd say, "Well, that's what I need." And that's what this company is working with me on, is that because they'd say, I'm really good at IT, but I need all this relational cultural stuff. I'm really good at financial algorithms. You know, I got my you know, Stanford MBA, but I really need those relational cultural stuff. I'm really good at strategy. Every one of these kids has this hunger and thirst for this kind of stuff. And my, the, the takeaway for me was, we gotta keep doing this, because they, they kind of get it. I wish I'd been interested at this level at their age, and I wish all of us had been, they get it, and they're gonna get it, and that's why they're with that company. But they're very high performing, but they just need and desire and wanna get more of the relational cultural stuff. Which ties in with what we're gonna talk about today, because um, <clears throat> how many of y'all did read The Advantage or had some time to read it? Okay, any impressions? It's Lencioni. It's Lencioni, right. It's Lencioni without a story, because it's more principle-based, but um, I was really kind of struck by some of his concepts, and so the last few months I've been working on this didactic and kind of my own version of what accelerates performance, but I really liked his point that if you want to have performance, you got to have health. And that's what I want to go into is, I'm gonna, the takeaway for us is, I'm going to give you, I think, the top ten from more of a character plus strategic standpoint of things that increase performance in your organization and yourself. And uh, the key Bible passage, I think, just ties in very well with this, which is, um, scrolling, 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 ah, First um, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, where Paul says, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, 
but only God who makes things grow. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up. I'm just kind of telling the future here, but I'm going to wrap up with my point number 10, and I'm going to tell you right now because it's important, is leaders spend too much time trying to control the fruit. Think about your dashboard. Think about your metrics. Think about your KPIs. We spend too much time trying to control those and, and affect the reaping, and we've got to spend more time controlling the sowing. Now, you need your KPIs because that's the way to monitor how we're doing, what's the fruit about. But we're tweaking the end result too much, and we're not letting go of the control and saying, I just got to know what I'm doing in the sowing. And that's Lindsay on his whole point is watch that. Think about if you're a gardener and you got this peach over here, and the peach doesn't do, I don't know, it's a little or scrawny or whatever, and you say, you got to be bigger and fatter and juicier. Well, the peach is going to say, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a fruit. Why don't you dig around the roots? And why don't you like change the soil and the nitrates and stuff? That's our job as leaders to get back to the soil. So I'm just going to be presenting what I think helps in that process. One of the statements that I really liked that Lindsay only said was, because I always, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I love research, but, um, you know, sometimes I don't have a research background for everything I say. And, and people say things, well, well, Collins would have said this. Well, yeah, I know, he does. And so I, he has this great quote in the book. He says, I'm not a quantitative researcher. The conclusions I draw here are not based on reams of statistics or finely crunched data. data, data. But <coughs> the almonds are different. <coughs> but rather on my observations as a consultant over the past 20 years. But as Jim Collins, the research giant, once told me, qualitative field research is just as reliable as the quantitative kind as long as the clients and the readers attest to its validity. And I'm happy to say, based on my experience with executives and their organizations, the principle in this book have been, has proven to be as reliable as they are simple. And that's how I feel. Is I, I, I'm a research junkie, and I, I'm, in fact, there's a bigger research junkie than me, and it's Scott Macon. I go to Scott because he's, he even spends more time finding stuff, and I get a lot from, from you, Scott. And I don't know the Harlem stuff. What is that called? The Harlem, Harlem Shuffle. Harlem Shuffle. Or the Harlem Shuffle. Yeah, I don't know that. Well, I know the other stuff. And, and I love the way Scott takes compliments and yes. takes affirmations. <laughs> it's just the way he takes it in and feels good about it. It's a process group. It's a process group. But the point is, is it all it all works. The Collins stuff worked, and, and, and stay with the research. But also, guys, you got to trust your your experience and your heart. And you got 20, 30 years of doing something the right way. Mm. You can say, look, I know what I'm doing. I've done this right for 20 years, and it's kind of trust that. That's what I do. So here here here's the big ten. All right. Number one is you must prune your vision with reality. Prune your vision with reality. Now. Every leader, and we talked about vision before, every leader is responsible for the vision. You're the one that, in, in your division, in your company, in your organization, you're the one that's got to get people fired up. And, and, you know, you guys know this, but what's a good definition of vision? Picture of the future. It's a picture of the future. It's like, we're not here, we need to be here, what's going to take to be here? And it's got to be scary, and it's got to be big, and it's going to be audacious, and all, all that stuff in your BHAG. Well... One of the big problems I see in leadership when I'm working with companies or whatever is a lot of times you've got a great visionary leader who sort of looks at reality as don't rain on my parade. Mm -hmm. And they get kind of offended mm -hmm. and like, gosh, you're taking the wind out of my sails when the accountant says, we don't have that kind of money, or HR says, we don't have that kind of culture, or you know, whatever. And they feel kind of hurt and kind of go into a, a, a negative tone. 
every leader needs to say, now give me space to say my vision because you don't need the accountants for while you're doing the vision casting, but you must request and be humble and be thankful for reality. And if you don't do that, you'll end up like all these guys I know that start things and then they, then they collapse because they didn't say, give me the bad news. What's not going to work here? So every vision needs to be pruned and crafted and modified by reality. Start with the vision, but then welcome those people that, that have the hard questions. How can that work? We, that takes us out of our core business or whatever. It's like, you know, thank you so much. And never, never get mad at or get offended by the, by the, by the critics. Okay? Uh, I, I, um, I have a company that I consulted with where um, the founder, he was a really visionary founder, he had a hard time with this and was driving his COO crazy. I mean, because people like COOs who have to deal with reality and financial people, CFOs have to deal with reality. You know, he's driving them crazy because he would just not do anything and then they have to clean up the mess and he's out there, you know, changing everything, getting everybody excited, but there's a mess at home in the structure of the conversation. So I got to know him. No, no surprise to you guys at your level, he was the antidepressant for some really screwed up parents. Parents couldn't function very well. And uh, so he was the golden child that was smart and glued everything together and figured out life and basically became, you know, 30 years old at seven, right? And so he learned to keep everybody happy and function at high levels and mo that helped mom's depression and helped dad's rageaholism and he got, you know, kind of survived past his family. But he never developed that ongoing structure of reality because to him reality was a bad thing. Reality took him back to a home where mom and dad aren't functioning and are alienated and are very immature. And he, he lived better in the future and the hope and the energy. Mm -hmm. So when he's got these great things about taking over, you know, another business and M&A stuff, and his people come in and say, we can't afford it, he, he took it back home. And he took him back to being a little kid and he didn't want to go there. So he'd get mad and insulted by these people. And the company's really struggling right now. Um, we're working hard, but the COO and CFO, they've lost some rock stars because he just said, I, make him, I, I know exactly where he needs to go, I believe in it, but then he changes courses and doesn't like what I say, doesn't take my advice. So be humble, accept reality for your vision. Secondly, uh, don't assume clarity, uh, create it. Um, I was really struck by Lencioni's, you know, his big four points in his book, three out of the four have the word clarity in them, which <laughs> kind of says that clarity is important. <laughs> and I started thinking about clarity, and I realized that one of the problems that leaders have is that when you're working at high, with higher level people, you sometimes don't ask the basic questions because you don't want to insult their intelligence. And so you're not clear about people's roles and responsibilities. And, and it's sort of like, gosh, wouldn't that make them, you know, sort of like put them down? Don't do that. Don't ever assume that everybody you work with understands their roles and responsibilities and the, the lines that they should not go into because that's not their business and the lines they should stay in. Um, go ahead and say it. It's better to overstate clarity than to understate it. Uh, it's a, and, and so the three, three, three things that I think that we need to be asking our people is and not asking but also telling them yes and and I, and I, and I, what I'm when I'm doing in-house consulting I I kind of overdo this because I think it's important is to keep saying to your people what is our core can your people articulate what's our core and if they go well I know what the core is great if you know it say it but what's our core what are we really about secondly 
What is your role? I mean, you should you should ask a C-suite person this question. What's your role? Well, you know my role. I've been with P&G for 20 years. I understand you're great. You're a rock star. What's your role? And then, just as importantly, this is what I found. What is not your role? Should you be going into finance when you're a CEO? I was working with a company recently where uh, the COO went and, and he'd just been hired great, going to do a great job and uh, good pedigree. And all of a sudden asked, asked for the financials of the company. And the CEO went, he called me and said, should this guy be doing that? I went, no, why is he going to do that? He said, I don't know. So they had this tough talk like, you just went outside your business. Check with me to see if we need the financials of all the company and all the different operations because maybe that's not your bailiwick. What's your role, what's your not your role? Okay. Um, as, a, as a consultant, and Scott and I have found this out too, is um, I used to think that guys that were working with large companies, that I didn't need to work with lower level issues with them, was coaching them. Like that all my time with a high performing organization and a CEO and an owner was all about meaning and vision and your character and your insights. And what I realized is I wasn't saying, why are you 70 pounds overweight and eating Cheetos all the time? <laughs> That's not a high level question, you know, about meaning and purpose and your character. Or, you know, you look really tired. Are you, you know, working out at all? Or you and your wife aren't talking to each other. Or your desk is really messy and you don't return emails. And I started realizing everybody needs that. The whole vertically integrated part of this. Don't assume anything. Well, if you've got somebody who owns a $100 billion company, or you do, and you've got somebody who owns a 7-Eleven, it doesn't matter. Everybody needs this stuff. Don't assume anything. Talk to them about everything. Because I'll be working with people who will be extremely successful, and I'll say, you look kind of beat up and you're fat. And they'll go, nobody's helping me. Do you want me to help you? Yeah. <laughs> so don't assume anything. It, it, you're doing a favor to your company and your people. Um, Thirdly, individualize the buy-in and accountability titration. And this is what we go to about our directs again. Your directs have individual drivers. Now, we spent a whole didactic on, on drivers one day. So I don't need to belabor the point, but the more I work with organizations, the drivers are individual. And they do not feel what you do, feel. And one of the things about leaders is, is sometimes we feel like the things that keep us up at night as we're, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, you're thinking about what about this and can we do this? And do I have, there's a hard conversation here, there's an opportunity. There's, we think, <clears throat> are they feeling that too? No, they're probably like thinking about their kids or like, what's a good TV show? And that's not, that's, that's, that's not bad. I mean, certainly your higher level people need to be into your vision. But you must be sure that you understand that they have lives separate from you, and you've got to, it's your job to find out their drivers. So, so unless they're your partners or your highest level people, you know, don't expect them to be staying awake worrying about your job, or sorry, don't expect them to stay awake worrying about your business. It's your business. It's your department. It's your division. You worry about it. I, I was working with a guy on, he has a, he's an executive in a $20 billion company in the health world, very successful. And he just had this guy who's a really good player, but he kept missing him and kept being frustrated with the guy. And he realized finally, we're talking, he goes, no, we're talking, I said, I think the guy just wants you to be nice to him. And he goes, no, I want him to feel like the mission, the vision. I said, I think he just wants you to be nice to him and he'll really work for you. So he started being nice to him.
and the guy started working better because <laughs> he found the driver. All right. Don't expect them to feel like you feel. Third is um, review the plan more than you expected. I fourth. Fourth. Huh? Sorry. Fourth. I'm fourth. sorry. Third. You know what he means. Just letting go on. <clears throat> so I have done three. Yep. yep. Okay. So I haven't skipped one. Okay. Four. Thanks. Um, this is really hard for the, especially you guys that are more on the visionary right brain side. Review, 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 practice, 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 but you just have to do it. And I am, I am so tired of CEOs that'll tell me, well, my job is the vision casting and, you know, and, and that stuff about the others, the others, you know, I, I move on and I'm like, are you helping your people? Are you reviewing the plan? Well, no, that's kind of boring. Basically, that's just self-centeredness. You know, you've got to go back to the basics and review, and you over-review. And I like that. I just like that that Lizioni kind of stressed the overdoing it, because what I found in very successful companies, the owner or the or the the leader is the one that keeps back saying, "Okay, what's our plan again?" And people get it. Um, remember when he says in the book about marriage, where <laughs> the wife says, "I don't," you know, "you don't tell me you love me." And the husband goes, we've been married 30 years. 30 years ago, I made a contractual covenant with you that I loved you until you hear further further from me that that is still in, 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 in force. Now, you know, he didn't get lucky that night. I'm just telling oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, what I found is that um, we need the Lord's Supper and we need baptism and Israel needed memorial stones and we are a race that needs reminders I need reminders because I got a billion things in my head and you guys just too there's a billion there's a billion bright shiny objects out there and I'm a bright shiny object guy but I've got to be coming back to the things that basically are about the plan so you know that that whole idea of even if it's not exciting sit down with your people interview the plan and you'll, what you'll find out is that they're missing a spot. And you think, gosh, didn't we talk about this? Yeah, but things get, things get busy. Review the plan and review the plan and review the plan. It's boring. It's not fun. It's not new. It's not shiny. But it'll get you very successful. Okay. If, if you get lucky, um, since we're such a visually oriented um, society, <clears throat> in your place of work or where your team is, if there are some creative ways that you can um, put reminders of those, I think it yes. would be very helpful. Really goes, I mean, if you take a look at in the beginning with the Israelite family, put these on the doorways, wear these things on your... There's a reason for those passages. It, it just reinforces those other things. So if you can create it that way, it will help even in creating the environment. Mm -hmm. If it's a relational environment, um, you have more of those opportunities, you know, cafeteria that's, that's more conducive to talking as opposed to just, um, just a drive-by thing. So think about those. Those are ways you, you can always review. It, it's just a key to success. It's like when I'm, now that I'm writing this Hardway book and just researching all this, and people that review well and force their people to review well and try to get them on, you know, in a good way to see it, they're more successful. It's just not fun and innovative, and you need fun and innovation, but you got to have the other two. And Zappos overdid it. They, 
made a new entrance. Everyone had to go through the entrance, and in this entrance, they had all their key values, and um, it also created this social thing for them. So you can, you know, look at your environment along those lines. So. Thanks, Scott. Next one is um, play chicken with your strat plan. And what I mean by that is, do you remember, I don't know, playing chicken with people like in your car when like the car's going from two lanes to one lane or, you know, in, in, in basketball or something where... That's not chicken, that's normal driving. <laughs> you just get in there. Yeah, you know, you're kind of the rebel without a cause thing like, you know, James Dean and Salmanio and, and you're, somebody's got to blink first and the guy that blinks last, you know, is the winner. But it's, it's kind of a test game. You, you have to play chicken with your plan, meaning that you have to assume there's going to be a temptation to divert. You're going to get an opportunity. You're going to get a phone call. You're going to get somebody's going to come up to you and say, this is great. And, and it kind of fits, but in a way it doesn't. And you're the one that's got to say, I don't know if I can do this. And, and the mark of a successful person is that people are going to be calling you. Your, your phone is always on the, you know, being, because they know her back in there. They're always calling saying, try this, try this, try this. And you got to be able to play chicken and not blink and say, I got to think about this. I got a guy, one of my in-house relationships, where there's a CEO and he's a good guy and he's smart and he likes his people, he understands performance, he understands, he understands um, you know, innovation, but he also understands structure. But the founder is like all over the place. And the CEO kind of didn't know what he's supposed to do with the founder when he came on. And the founder is like, Mr. The new idea is all we're doing. So. You know, they come in for a meeting and the plan's here and the founder would say, and the, the, the founder's the boss, right? And the founder says, we just need to put everything international. You know, China is just going crazy because he read something about China at Wall Street Journal that morning. And so now all the troops were supposed to get excited about China. And then, so he did that. He kind of like did do China stuff. And then he says, now we got to add, you know, we got to add some more things to our, our, our real estate because we need more real estate. So all the energy is going to real estate. So I'm working with him and he's like, he's not doing really well. And I said, you don't know how to handle an ADD person, do you? He said, no, he's a founder. I said, no, he's an ADD founder. <laughs> and you have to understand, the guy made his billions by being this way, but he's not a CEO and you are. And he kind of, what I found out was this CEO thought he was supposed to be like the founder. And I said, no, you're supposed to manage him. The founder is the founder. He thinks different thoughts at levels that most of us don't understand, but he can't think like a CEO. He said, what am I supposed to do? I said, you do this. When he says put it all in China. You say, great idea, Harry. I love that. Anyway, here's where the plan's going. Now, most of the time he'll go, oh yeah, he'll settle down because that's what ADD people do, you know? Here's another shiny object. But if he brings up a second time in the next meeting, we gotta put stuff in China. You go, I'm looking into that, love it. Anyway, here's the plan. This is what CEO does. I said, now the third time he does that, you know he's not gonna let it go. He says, what do I do then? I said, then you say, love it. When are we going to bring it to the board of directors? He started doing that. Guess what the founder would do when he would say that? And I don't know, that kind of sounds flaky. Okay, but if you want to bring it, I'll be glad. In other words, he appealed to the big authority, which is the people the founder was really responsible to, and he kind of stayed out of the way. Now he's back on plan. He's back on target because he learned how to play chicken. 
right? You guys have lots of opportunities for diversion. John. I, I had a COO that came in, my company exploded because he said to me, he goes, John, you got 100 good ideas, I'll execute at 10%. Let's take 10 and execute at 100%. And when you got a new idea, right here on my whiteboard, this corner, I want to write it down. And he did. Every time I go, Roger, we got to do this. He goes, I got it. I put it right here. Parking lot. He put a place for it, and I felt, okay, he's got it. Okay. And I would leave satisfied. Exactly. It was crazy. Exactly. I would be head. But if he just, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I thought what right you just said. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to take away those guys' innovation, but right. they just they need to be heard and they get back to what's important. Some of you guys are like that. Some of you guys might need somebody to say, love your 20 ideas, right. write it down here. Anyway, here's our core business. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying engage them, respect them, and then move on. Yeah. Yeah, because you're, that's what your job that's is. That's the chicken part. That's the chicken part. Okay. In other words... You have the temptation. Well, all, be te all successful people are always tempted to divert. It's not a bad thing. But don't let it divert. You've got to play chicken. You've got to blame last. Mm. Um, number six, <laughs> blow off the strokers and assemble the truthers. Um, my experience with leaders is that a new leader, kind of a young young to this needs a lot of grace at first because they're scared there's a judge they have no idea they have a judge they have these expectations of who they should be and you got to kind of handle with care I mean think about when you know you were just starting in the process you need a lot of people to kind of believe in you but what happens is there is a there is a gradation where you're there's all grace, and there's all truth, and you know you don't want to be all truth because it discourages people. But you start here, over time. Time moves this way, so here's the three. You start here, and gradually, you don't ever end up with all truth. That'd be yucky. But you end up here, and here's why. It's not that you get meaner. It's that you've internalized the grace. See. You guys are doing wonderful, wonderful work over here and in between because you're providing grace for each other. So you don't need as much grace from the world. You don't need people stroking you and say, attaboy, love those glasses. Man, those are some glasses. I've never seen glasses like this. You know, Alex, love that shirt. You know, that starch is perfect. You know, you don't need that because you've internalized so much grace, you can kind of take the truth. Grace doesn't go away. It doesn't get flushed out. It becomes a part of what Scott and I would call internal object constancy, meaning there's a, a foundation of love inside you. So that as time goes on, you can take more and more kind of raw truth without feeling judged or bad or persecuted or beat up or whatever. Internal what? Oh, internal object constancy. That there's this, if you look at Ephesians 3, uh, 17, it says that we have to be rooted and grounded in love. I interpret that as that we're supposed to have so much, taking so much stuff with our NBA, with our need for grace and affirmation and validation from each other and from God, uh, that we become rooted and grounded in love, that there's a steady state of being loved inside. So that when I leave this group, well, I leave my own group, I don't have this, but when you, when you guys leave your group, you don't go, oh my gosh, I'm abandoned now, I'm, 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 I'm lonely. You go, I took so much stuff in, I'm gonna have a great month. What happened to me? It's what happened to Chris. Yeah. You said, I saw these guys yeah. on the front row. The other guys have said that. That's what internalized object constancy is. It's like, now I can go a long time because I took this stuff, this, and it re the fruit remains. I am in a loved state. So if I'm with somebody and they beat me up or they lie to me or they criticize me or I fail, I kind of go, 
Well, that was hard, but you know what? I got some people who love me. Yeah. And they'll always love me. And I keep that steady state in me. Therefore, you need less reassurance from the outside world because you've internalized it and made it part of your fiber. It's an emotional memory of the relationship. So, Steve, when you're in a tough place, what either what person or what experience do you remember from being in here that helps? You know? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you that for, I mean, for this thing with Blair, I didn't have... I didn't have my heart sitting on the table. Yeah. So when I was pulling the there string, I would, when I was pulling the string, I don't care if the string broke. It just happened to be that there was a rope at the end of it. It's like holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, you know. Because yeah, you did so much work yeah. in here. What did you remember? If it would break, what 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 is it that you remember? Yeah, and that I was I was in a safe spot. I, mean, I was going to come back. And there you go. Show you my letter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, I was, so you, you know, remember I had to play, yeah. us, our faces and our experiences, and that's. But I've, and I, it's as different. I don't know if it's the same, but I've I feel a lot more comfortable speaking to a group, a very large group of people, when there's a few people that I know in the audience, versus. Uh, well, no, I'm saying something different. I'm saying the people inside you are not even there. Which not even present. You see right. them in your mind's yeah. eye. It was a month ago or five years ago, and, and you're like, I'm okay because of that. It's, 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 it's so that you don't need something outside to support you. I'll give you an example. Is, um, you know, I'm in this board, and I'm, I'm learning a lot from being, you know, because I found out I'm not a very accountable person. <laughs> and I tell everybody to be accountable. So I got the, I got the Bell's palsy, and God said, you know, better get your back together and I told God, look, I know that Pharaoh needed 10 warnings and you just gave me mine because my face is paralyzed. I don't need number two. I'll stick with one, please. Don't give me number two. I'm really listening. I don't want to be a Pharaoh. So I got this board together and they're very successful, you know, people who have good character and I've known them a long time. So we had our second meeting a couple weeks ago in my house. And I was thinking about this point of how much grace and how much truth are there. I mean, they, they have no condemnation. They're, I wouldn't have picked them. They have no judgment in them. But they're, they got somewhere in their life because they can be hard chargers. So we went for four hours. The first five minutes of the four hours, they were like, let's review what you've done. Great job. You know, we gave you a lot of stuff to work on. And, you know, you've been really busy. You're really changing. You're really doing the hard stuff. The last five minutes before we left were great. It sounded like you were getting it and we feel very much part of your vision. Guess what was in the middle? <laughs> yeah. Truth, challenge, confrontation, problem solving, this isn't working, blah, 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 blah. But I felt great. It was five minutes of grace, five minutes of grace and a bunch of truth. Because I've been taking a lot of stuff over a lot of years from a lot of good folks. And so, and I knew I was safe for these guys. So, as you mature, the point is, if you still need to have somebody, and I'm not talking about process group work, that's different. Well, no, as, no, because as processes increase, you guys have got more confronted. But you'll find the more you grow, the less you need the strokers in your work because you're kind of okay. You've internalized it. And you can say, give me raw reality. All right? Yeah. Watch out for people in your organization who need constant affirmation. What do you do with them? Allow them to make another business successful. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you have one or two routes, Chris. Either they came in empty and you say, I'm going to help you get confident and find some setting. You're part of it, but you can't do it. 
And the other is there are some people that don't work on dependency issues and they're black holes mm -hmm. and you need to find some kind of marginalized place for them to work. But a lot of people just kind of need what we all needed, like to find a supportive setting. But your highest, your, if your rock stars need constant affirmation, that's a problem. By now they should know. I believe in you. I believe in your stuff. You're, I'm there for, to help you. But you know, I, every time you like make a nickel, I can't have a party. Mm -hmm. That's not a good sign. Okay. Um, part seven: Require the innovative meetings. Now we've moved from stay with the strat plan, stay on tar target, don't get diverted. Don't don't assume innovation happens organically. You know, when you look at, at business history, Japan really lost it for a while because they had all the systems right, all the processes right. You know, they were the, the leaders of, I can't think of the word, shaiku or shai. That five-step S of, of, of making a, a place work right. Kaizen. Like, Kaizen. They were the leaders in that. And then they lost it for a while because they were all systems, all process, all efficiencies, and no innovation. And then the, their, their world winning ways kind of left and other people took over and they're, they're, they're doing better now. But you have to have new innovation, which means I think that you have to actually structure those meetings with people that you work with, the people you like. Don't just kind of keep grinding down and doing the right thing. <coughs> I think on some kind of monthly basis, you got to need to get with some your people and say, it's blank slate. There's no reality here. Think about what we do and where we want to go. And just sit there for a couple of hours and, and, and don't dominate it because they're going to try to please you, but just say what's inside. Now, they're going to kind of test that at first and go, well, I don't know, maybe we should need to cut down expenses here. Well, that's great. What else? But if you kind of are patient with that and kind of guiding them, they'll come up with juicy stuff. And you need your people for that. Sometimes you have to have outside people who are more innovative, but sometimes your people have enough. Sometimes you have enough. My point is, innovation must be structured. It doesn't happen over beers at lunch. It doesn't happen when you're riding a bike. Sometimes it does, but I think you need to put some more structure on innovation and say, this is a space in time where there's no reality. Dream. Dream with me. And you can't be the only one doing it. Um, like... I was reading this Marketing Warfare book. Anybody heard, heard that book, Marketing Warfare? I think it's really good. And he says there, he says, attack yourself. And what he means is, even if you knocked a home run last year, go, what could we do better? Why do we think that because I did a home run, that that's the top of it? Maybe I could do a hundred times that, that well. But you've got to have those meetings. You, mu you must be the... That's Richard. No, 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 no. That's, yeah, that's for everyone that. else but Richard. <laughs> <laughs> He's over here typing Ferris. <laughs> I, I didn't need to type. I got that. <laughs> yeah, Richard, you, you just think about Kumbaya for a second. I got I to talk to these guys. But um, there's just nothing wrong with saying, I'm so excited about what we did, but there's no reason I can't think of something at a 10x scale. It really isn't. And I don't mean in any judge way, but structure the meetings. You got, you got people who... If you can get their dream out, it'll get you great success. And maybe you've just been having your nose to the grindstone with them so long, they just kind of like, well, all they want me to do is work hard. Find out where their juice is. You know, it's like in marriage, you know, it's like, don't you want you and your spouse to have dreams? And how do you bring that out in, in an innovative way that says, you know, let's, let's dream together. Let's, that's sort of where Sandy and I are right now. And 
I found there's only there's two factors there. One is you've got to structure the space. Maybe it's a a dinner out, maybe it's a whiteboard, maybe it's a wilderness experience, but you've got to structure the space and you must get off of the parent dynamic because they will just try to comply and please and what is he thinking and is this right, is this what I'm supposed to be? As opposed to something just popped out from in me. What about this? And you all go, sounds great. But you gotta get out of the parent role. Or they'll go compliant and all that creative mm-hmm. bubble won't be there. It'll be more reflective in your listening. And Sound like you're saying. Empathy. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, instead of good idea, bad idea. Right. I love it with Jim Valvano, where they're, they're playing his life in the NC State guy. And he goes, We used to have one practice a month, no balls, no game plan. We would just practice cutting down the nets. We would practice, you know, when you mm. win the championship, you cut down the nets. You go, no <laughs> balls once a month. Because if you don't, you know, program your dream, and so it's, it's not exactly what you're saying, but I love that. Totally out of the, they're like, what are we going to do? We're going to practice cutting down the nets today. I love that. That's love really it. good. And they won. You know, that's my alma mater, right? Uh, no, I did not know I'm that. an NC State guy. So you I was, say that again? You have to that's my alma mater, NC State. Oh. I, I was there when we took it from UCLA and John Wood's dynasty. We ended the dynasty. Oh, wow. David Thompson. You were in the front. I was David Thompson's resident hall advisor. I, I was no. a, I was the main resident hall advisor for Sullivan Hall, eight-story building. All the whole basketball team and half the football team were there. Wow. And when a game was over that year, because we were killing everybody, I, I could I was powerless. Yeah. Like I would walk walk after the game, and there'd be like fireworks and guns going off, <laughs> and, and there's like 900 big guys, and I'm like the resident. <laughs> <laughs> you guys stop that, and, and like and like wow. I, one time on the eighth, I'm, I'm getting off. Course, but one time on the eighth floor, I'm just kind of, what the hell am I supposed to do? One of the couple of the basketball players <laughs> took a refrigerator. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> and I'm like, stop that guy. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, um, wow. So, yeah, uh, anyway, that's, that's the point. Uh, part eight. Uh, make decisions before you are a hundred percent sure. You know, this is all about risk, and I, I don't know anybody really successful who didn't have that oh shit moment when you just dive off and you you spend the money or you spend the energy and here we go and you're diving in the water and you got to remember that there's a thing called a gamble and there's a thing called a risk and who knows the difference between a gamble and a risk in business. Gamble has no idea of the yeah. outcome. Risk has calculations, and you understand yeah. what the potential outcomes are, and you've narrowed it down. There you go. Be riskers. But riskers do their homework. And riskers go, I'm willing to accept failure because it was worth it because I've done my homework. But never gamble. Don't do it because I had this feeling or so many people like this idea. Do your homework. And calculate a risk or how very successful people become mega successful. I am... Um, a company I work with is very aggressive about putting their, um, their they have a retail thing, and they're, they're putting their stores in nationally. And their number one store, they only have one store in that state, and it's so good, I, I'm under NDA so I can't tell you that, sorry. But it's so good that people are driving from other states to go to it, and what they realized was People are, our competition's watching us. Our competition's in that state. And what are they going to do when they see 
that people are driving to that one store from other states. What's a smart competition going to do? Well, they're going to get one closer. They're going to get one closer. And he said, and the lights came on and went, I got to put about five or six in that state right now. So he's spending a lot of money and he's spending, going to get a real estate lease and all that, but it's working. And he's having a risk, but he did his homework. He knew if I don't do this, this window's going to close and the competition's going to eat me up. So you got to take risks. So there, you know the whole paralysis of analysis? You've got to just say, I've done the homework, I'm jumping in the pool, oh shit. Um, number nine, um, invest in you. And this is the whole Proverbs 4, guard your heart for from it flow the wellsprings of life. The one thing that keeps your organization going, I think, is a healthy you. And so many leaders I work with are this close to burnout, they're irritable, they have fatigue, um, they feel uh, losses of energy, they don't concentrate well. It feels like vacuum cleaners are running around and you know when they're trying to talk about things and they in their heads. And 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 what's happening is is that they're not all there because they're not taking care of themselves. Now, there's very various reasons that you guys don't take good care of yourself. In other words, enough sleep and you know, as as you know, I'm a work in progress. I confess that I'm a lot better than I used to be. But why don't we take care of ourselves? There's there's different reasons. Let's just confess a bit. Feel guilty we don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And I need to just work harder with my, my peeps. Good. What else? Lazy. Must nah. No. Look we're at this table. This work, is not lazy. We're kind of got a workaholic. And I feel better when I do that. I'm yeah. more in my sweet spot. Here's another one. I don't set boundaries at work, so I'm all energy drain. So I just go home and recover. I go passive Cheeto mode. And I sit there, you know, watch ESPN, because I don't set good boundaries at work, because I'd have more energy if I set good boundaries at work. But you've got to find whatever those are and invest in yourself. Remember, this is not selfishness, this is good stewardship. Because what's going to make you better as a, as a better you is going to make your organization better. Another one is not understanding how to delegate. When a, when a problem comes up, you're saying, hey, I can do that. No one can do it as good as I can do it. So and it's so much ready. of a pain to explain them to other people. Yeah. Let's talk about vacations for a second. You know, I, I just have not been great about vacations. Now, now somebody that I'm, I'm a lot better than I was, uh, Scott and my counterpart in Dallas, Elaine Morris, She's executive director. She runs the LCPs and the, and the consulting work in Dallas. She's doing eight a week now. I mean, sorry, eight a year. Eight weeks a year. I'm yes. not up to that. Wow. I don't know if I could be. But I know that I'll call her and she'll go, can't get back over here. Um, Rod and I are in Vermont. Oh, okay. Talk to you Monday. I'll call her. Yeah, sorry, we're in Phoenix. Talk to you next week. And she's pretty happy and healthy. And when she's working, she's a rock star. So whatever it is, your self-care is important. I am, um, you know that my whole thing about physical stuff, I have three trainers now. I have a Newport Beach trainer that comes to my home, my little home gym. I have an Indy trainer who came with me yesterday and worked me out of the hotel. And I have a Dallas trainer. And I had them all integrated so they all know what everybody's doing. And I had a physical therapist who tells them, don't touch this and don't touch this until he gets well. It's working. But I had to put a lot of energy in structuring, but I feel better because I know when I fly in, I want to have dinner and then some dessert and some drinks and all that and get to bed and have some great conversations. And, but if I know that i got to pay this guy, this Nazi, and he's going to wake me up and say, go to work, and I'm writing him a check, I get to, I don't have chocolate cake. 
and I have one glass of wine, and I have a good conversation. I go to bed because I have to pay the guy. So well, I think we unwittingly pull people into our paradigm too. They see that the way to do it is to work yourself to death, and so our whole staff is dying because yeah. we don't allow ourselves those boundaries. And yeah. we say, when you're on vacation, would you check in with me? I used to do it. I they know. were burning out. They were burning out. Yeah. I want I want more of me because when I'm back, I want to be 100% me, and I want you guys to be 100% you. Yeah. Self care does that. Yeah. Um, and then control the sewing and monitor the weeping. Back to I just wanted to to button that up because it's so important. You have a dashboard. However, you measure success. Market share, revenues, EBITDA. What's some other ways you measure? Cash flow. Cash flow. Happiness. Huh? Happiness. Happiness. Mm -hmm. all, all those things. Al, I'm really glad you said that. Wow. Very in-touch statement. But I think you need to look at your dashboard at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. Okay? So your five minutes, like, okay, here's where we are and how are we doing. But in between that, you got to forget about your cashboard, guys. Your dashboard. You got to forget about your fruit. You got to be the good farmer sowing culture, sowing performance, sowing clarity, sowing structure, sowing the hard talks. But get out of the control game where you'll never be successful you, you want to be. Most of the time, most of your time is going to be spent in, the, in good sowing. So, here's the coup growth questions. Where have you been focusing too much on your results and not on the necessary sowing? Where do you get too scared about the results and start telling the peach to grow up? And then, um, secondly, which skill do you need to put time and energy into this month? Alright, so, Let's take our 30 seconds of review and just look over the notes and find one thing that you need to do this month. One challenge area in the content. There's 10 pieces there. Most people will find one or two, but just find one that stood out and then confess it. And I'm going to shut up for 30 seconds and we'll get back. All right. Chris, we'll start with you and go clockwise. I just... Uh I struggled with this whole concept of uh, playing chicken with the plan and sort of the buy-in because if people were pushing back on me, I got defensive and was like, well, don't you see it? And to help engage them and recognize them and and then just, hey, it's okay to feel differently mm -hmm. and not get all defensive. That's, Absolutely. So that was my bad. Absolutely. Kind of learn how to manage them while yeah. staying on your path. Very yeah. good. Now, I had more than one. Um, Invest in me. I'm bad about that. Um, I I am the guy that that does um, keep the plan on track. I have an ADD brother. Review, review, review. I, I don't do that, and I should. And uh, require an innovation in the meetings. So several points of yeah of challenge for you. Good. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Alex. Um, I, I think the strokers versus truthers, I mean, just uh, continuing to try to get the, the love base, the found, you know, the home base for that love so that I can drive more into truthers rather than just always need to be. Yeah. And then uh, make, make decisions based on the homework. Good. Good. John. Um, yeah, the first two, um, 
I'm always telling people to work from the unseen to the seen, and I'm a vision guy, but to be humble enough to accept the reality of, of where they're at now and their resources. And um, mm -hmm. for, for, for our convene group, I was thinking number two, which is what's, what's our core, what's your role, what's not your role in this group? Uh, I'm going to use that next month as a... Oh, I think that'd be catalytic in your group. I think you see some good stuff pop up. Yeah. Okay. Richard? Realized I assume what the individual drivers are of Mike, Zero, and Thaddeus. I gotta go back and review them in a second and just to stick it right back all in your faces. One of the questions I had is my drive and capacity level stimulating others or not stimulating others to reflect <coughs> their dreams, their goals, their plans within the context of those. And that affects the kids too, because there's a counter side. Thanks, excellent. Yeah, that'll work. Thomas. Um, there's a little bit of, a, for me, a, um, we're going in the right direction as far as clarity. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm repeating myself too much, but I think just it's You're really a great not. thing. Yeah, and, I, and I'm realizing it. Um, so that's actually, that was just reaffirming. Uh, second part that um, I didn't share with you guys is we actually are starting to look very seriously about third location. We, we actually put in a letter of intent on a building. And I think I am, I'm looking at dashboard too much. So I'm going specifically because payroll is scaring the crap out of me sure. when it comes to that piece and, and adding and adding before we have the financials to put the, you know. So I have to stop because Ed is actually, uh, the <laughs> he's really good at going forward. Yeah. And I think I'm holding him back a little bit. So. Yeah. So if you if you if you get him more hands off, then since you guys are doing your homework, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Maurice, uh, require innovative meetings, and uh, uh, close second is play chicken with a plan because I kind of go back to well, we got to operate under my philosophy, mm -hmm. and, and I get that a little messed up with. Um, Hey, we need new ways that can still new ideas that can still improve and still operate under the philosophy. Exactly, they're both true. Yes, you need both. Yeah. Good. I like that. See, um, at three, one the review the plan more than you uh, expected, and that connection to communion and baptism and reminders um, is one where I I might suffer from the. I told you I love you when we started this deal. And, um, <laughs> the, um, the other one, the, the idea of investing in you and that it's not selfishness, it's good stewardship. I'm, I'm chewing on that thing because stewardship, the word stewardship has, has for me felt such as an outward thing. Yes. The stewardship that I do, and I've kind of, we've had a conversation about selfishness and you know I don't drink or I don't use it it's a selfish piece no but it's actually good stewardship and having that be an inward thing not an outward thing that's I'm not done with that one um, and then this morning I was going through working on innovation and wrote down a book I'm reading <clears throat> it says that we have too much emphasis on ideas and not enough on execution Edison said, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, and nobody listened. And with back to your, your uh, comment you made, as opposed to looking at trying to control this, you need to get in and do the sewing. It's that we've got 1%. Can you send me that quote? Because that's kind of how my book's going. That's kind of what I'm saying in the book. Good. I like that. Steve. Uh, clarity and review the plan. 
I think uh, that really speaks to me about being real, real, very clear and very uh, what the plan is and repeating it over and over and over again. Yeah, they they need it. They need it from you. Need it. Okay, so those are your performance accelerators. If you do the right sewing, I mean, these are just God's structures, and it works. So. Okay, take a break and fossil can, fossil can, fossil can, fossil can.